As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show today. Old Trafford as Man United taste defeat like Paul Scholes in that video. Liverpool 5, United 0. We survey the fallout and hail the fabulous Liverpool. And after big wins for Chelsea and Man City too, ask are we in for a title race every bit as nail-biting as Paul Scholes in that video. All that plus Watford, that Palace banner, League Cup is a floozy and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Monday morning, 25th of October. Hey, listener. Uh, what do we have for you today? Well, looking back on a bit of a where were you when type weekend, we've got Daniel Story, Lindsay Hooper and Nuruddin Chowdhury. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hey. Thanks for being with us, Noz. Yeah, that's fine, except I might walk out halfway through if it doesn't go my way, so hey. just be warned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Crikey, eh? Last weekend, 5-0 against Watford. We thought, oh dear, Hornets. And that's your team. Crikey. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get on to events at Old Trafford very, very soon. It wasn't the only goal fest, of course, in a weekend that saw a whopping 40 goals. Extraordinary weekend of action, huh? Yes. Felt like a very conclusion-heavy Saturday, Sunday this weekend. I don't know if that's oh, yeah. just because we're kind of eight games in and things are starting to form or that teams seem intent on either winning or losing with vast gaps but yes nine games i make it daniel nine yes nine sorry yeah no no worries all right duncan alexander suggesting that there were as many premier league hat tricks this weekend as there were in the whole of the 2006-7 season is Mm. that right yeah, three that season. I was I was really hoping that Phil Foden would score again for Manchester City so it could be three hat-tricks in the same day as in the whole of that season. But Duncan, as ever, was watchful and got there in the end. That's extraordinary. So in the entire campaign, there were only three hat-tricks? Yeah, Rooney, Crouch and Drogba, I think. Wow. That was a time when referees really backed the goalkeepers. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, OK, well, let's check on the scores then of this uh, Match day nine of this Premier League season. Arsenal, Friday night, putting three past Villa to get the ball rolling. They were feeling pretty good about that until Chelsea kicked Saturday off by scoring seven past Norwich. Elsewhere, City mustered four goals in that 4-1 at Brighton. There were 1-1 draws for Newcastle at Palace and Wolves at Leeds. And a 2-2 
for Burnley at Saints. While Watford, stung of course by Liverpool last week, swung out this time at the nearest Merseyside team they could find, beating Everton 5-2. Sunday then, Mikel Antonio with the only goal in West Ham's defeat of Spurs. Leicester beat Brentford 2-1 and there was that game at Old Trafford. I didn't think it would ever get as bad as that today. Darkest day uh, I've had leading these players. This is a monstrous day, this for Manchester United. Apologies to the fans, it's nowhere near good enough for this club. Losing 5 0 at home against Liverpool. This could be dangerous. Salah now to Keita. One on one and scores. Alexander Arnold, and it's two. Easy. Great from Navi Keita. Salah. He scores for a tenth appearance in a row. Salah. Wow. It is absolute mayhem for Manchester United. Salah scores a hat-trick. It's Manchester United nil. Liverpool 5. Brutal stuff, producer Charlie. There you go. Man United nil, Liverpool 5. Daniel, you were there. Yes. History coalescing around you. First shot was from Man United. And then what happened? Well, they, I mean, they didn't seem to have a midfield for large parts of the first half. There was a, a number of defining images. Probably the the most prescient, I think, was for the first goal, where you had a still of four Liverpool players on one defender, with five Man United players just sort of trying to jog back to to defend the play. And look, it, it, to me, it's vaguely reassuring that you can have this collection of excellent players expensive players and that look like a rabble when they don't look particularly well coached it, it kind of puts my faith in in management that, that that makes a difference and this is as Gary Neville said in many different ways feels like a new low for Manchester United probably in the Premier League era because under David Moyes there was a slight inevitability about all this and, and the squad wasn't great you know this is this was Manchester United's worst performance in the Premier League era, I think, because there are players in that team who should A, be up for it against that opponent and B, are good enough to get into Liverpool's team. And yet, you know, it looked like non-league team against Premier League team. It really did. No, as you were watching on TV, what what was the low point for you? Um, I mean, there's so many to pick from. Um <laughs> I think I think it's just the fact that the you can kind of take losing and you can kind of take losing badly, but it's it's the it's the way in which the team just capitulated and and it's that thing of um, not showing any not not only not showing any fight but not showing any sort of um, idea. A lot of people have been talking about it as, as like one of the worst Premier League uh, displays ever, sort of full stop. Never mind United, and I kind of get that because it's not as if like. Um, it's not even as if United were just terrible. It's it's the fact that they didn't play as a team. So there's that famous um, there's that famous quote: uh, "You never win anything with with kids." Well, you don't win anything if you play like kids. And it's something um, Neville alluded to the other the other week, I think, where they play like children. Like it's it's everyone running to the ball. It's everyone getting really downcast when things don't go the way. It's everyone getting really hyped when when they score or they do well. And it, and it's and it's quite quite funny before the game. There was a feeling amongst United fans of like, oh, knowing this lot will bloody beat Liverpool because like that's the way this team plays. Is that is that when the backs against the wall when they when they're doing really badly, they'll they'll pull the result out. But it didn't even happen this time. Like that usual magic of just being just good enough at that vital moment. Like Solskjaer's normal trick 
of getting himself out of trouble just didn't work. And then once you left, once you've removed that magic or that sort of like inspiration of just doing well in, the, in those uh, singular moments, all you're left with is a team that's not doesn't look like it's been coached. You, you had situations where um, players were already being marked. Liverpool players were already being marked, and then you had United players running towards other United players running towards that player, and you kind of think they're already they're already covered. Wambisaka did that for, for one of the goals. I think he ran towards a player that was being marked by Fred. Uh, Maguire did it, um, I think, to Shaw or McTominay. And it just kept on happening. It was it, it was literally like children who are just, are just, are just run onto the pitch and, and have never been managed or coached in any way. No, all right. It's good to talk, right? It's, it's good to get this out. <laughs> you, just this a is therapy. Days. This is free, free therapy for me. You were at Old Trafford on, on, on Wednesday night for the Atalanta game when there was a certain amount of grumbling at half-time when United were 2-0 down. But then at the end, Ollie serenaded as he was doing his post-game interviews with the fans chanting his name. And I think, you know, while Twitter and various other areas and, and certainly the press have been pretty critical of him as, as United manager, the Old Trafford uh, crowd had, had, had backed him. Has he now lost that? Is this the turning point, do you think? Well, it's, it's it is a bit damning the way the, way, um, the fans were walking out of the stadium, sort of on on the hour mark, and and a little bit earlier as well. And and that's the thing, like as much as social media can be a bubble of a certain type of fan, um, the fans at Old Trafford have been very supportive of Solskjaer. And, and again, like the, part of that is just because the fans, any football club that actually go to games every week, their lives aren't complicated by all these narratives or all these weird rivalries online. It's about wanting your team to win. And 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 even if you're losing, you, you continue to support the club. But once you lose that, um, there's not a lot you've got left. And again, it's the thing with Solskjaer, like the comment he made about being—he's um, too close now to quit. Like that made no sense whatsoever. And in a way, like the one legacy he did have at United was that he'd improved certain things. So he'd uh, changed the atmosphere where there was a lot more positivity. He changed the place. So, like, United are actually interesting to watch. Whether they lost or won, they were interesting to watch because under Mourinho and Van Hal, that wasn't the case. You'd get bored during, ga- during games. Whether you're winning or losing, you got bored. So that had gone. You had the issue where De Gea was always winning Player of the Year because he was the best player by far and that was damning in itself. And you also had the problem with um, Lukaku up front, who was this great pivotal player, like um, uh, in himself a great player, but just still to United. And it almost feels as if everything's gone full circle in that, again, De Gea is probably the best player now. He'll probably win player of the year the way things are going. Um, I think I mentioned it last time when we were talking about Ronaldo. Ronaldo has essentially become the new Lukaku where everything goes through him He's a great player in, in in himself, but not a solution to the team as a whole. And and again, talk, going back to the fans, they're they're now as divided and as ever in terms of the infighting. Um, there's people who just can't because they've hitched their sort of uh, wagon to Solskjaer and sort of backing him to the hill. It's hard now to turn back, and that might be the case with United as a whole now because um, it seems as if he won't be got rid of imminently because. They've kind of uh, put so much um, weight in in his project. And that was evident as well at the end because we've seen the videos of Solskjaer staying around signing autographs for a long period after the game. I mean, that really shocked me because I don't understand 
the reasoning in Solskjaer's head for doing that. Yes, we know he's a nice guy, but your team have just got thumped by your biggest rivals and you're hanging around for a long time signing more autographs. Is that is that part of the subconscious that I might not be able to do this again because something might happen this week? We're forever told about the club versus country debate and how club football pretty much for most Premier League footballers comes first. But I think if you take a glance at the starting Manchester United eleven that played, I would say right now they all prefer playing for their country and that probably speaks volumes as well. Yeah, I think uh, there's a, there's certainly a point in there when uh, and it's without wanting to go back to this every time it's it's damning of Solskjaer because Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw have been brilliant for England. Yesterday for for that goal, they didn't talk to each other. They then made the second mistake of both leaving the ball rather than both going for it and kind of, you know, at least just collide with each other or make something happen, but they just leave the ball to it to go through. You've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka who last, you know, 18 months ago people wanted in that England squad and he's kind of herring around and diving into challenges. Bruno Fernandes looks thoroughly annoyed at life. You know, he's mm. doing that thing where he, you can tell when Fernandes is annoyed because his chat to the referee goes up. He's very much like Luis Suarez in that regard. When everything's fine, he just gets on with things. When everything isn't fine, he's in the referee's ear, he's moaning, he's kind of moping about. And yeah, Ronaldo looked, you know, he, he was lucky not to be sent off, I think. The fact that the ball was there when he aimed a kick is... Kind of neither here nor there. So, yeah, I completely agree. Well, let's talk about one of those exceptional sides, Liverpool, who, of course, did all the scoring at Old Trafford. Joining us now on the line from the Anfield Wrap is Neil Atkinson. Hi, Neil. Good morning. How are we? Yeah, pretty good, actually. Neil, Jurgen Klopp calling Sunday afternoon's result insane. How did you feel about it? It was simultaneously, it was obviously insane. This does not happen. Uh, you know, the historical sort of context is United haven't been beaten there by that sort of scoreline since the 60s. Uh, it's the biggest win in the fixture since Queen Victoria was on the throne. But there's something remarkably sane about it. Liverpool are substantially better than Manchester United and have been for some time. Even last season when United finished ahead of us, it's because of our injury issues as much as it is to do with anything that they're doing with much quality. Uh, and even last season, you know, it's a nil-nil draw at Anfield and we go to their place with Nat Phillips at centre-half and win 4-2. Liverpool are well better than Manchester United, but that in football very rarely translates to the scoreline. It very much did yesterday. So therefore, it is. it does have a level of sanity about it. Liverpool are five. 5-0 better than Manchester United at the moment and that's something that United really need to reflect upon given all the money spent and the size of the wage budget. As you say, it doesn't always come out in the scoreline though or pretty no. much ever. So how sweet was it to see your team doing that to them there? It was absolutely tremendous. I think Liverpool, lots of Liverpool sides have had a little bit of a mental block around Old Trafford. I've seen superior Liverpool teams, you know, the team in 1920 that wins 26 out of its first 27 games. The one it doesn't win is a one-all draw at Old Trafford where they need a late Adam Lallana goal to, to, to make it 1-1. And they never really entirely perform on the day. So I think it is, you know, it's it's remarkably, obviously, you know, joyous scenes across the city of Liverpool yesterday and last night. That sort of goes without saying. But I think within that, what's significant is there's no Liverpool side that should ever really fear going there again. If we can do that to them and on their ground any time we want, then that's got to be the attitude now for Liverpool moving forward. And, you know, whatever United do next, this Liverpool team, and as I say, successive Liverpool teams, never need fear 
Old Trafford. Uh, we've stamped our mark on it now pretty permanently with a bit of luck and the idea of it being somewhere that you've got to, you've got to hype yourself up to to go. 75,000 people, a really vociferous crowd. All that's true, but Liverpool have shown that they can perform there and they need to always perform there now. All right. We, we should talk about Mo Salah scoring for the 10th game in a row in all competitions, scoring for his third successive time at Old Trafford. First visiting player to get a hat-trick at Old Trafford since Ronaldo or phenomenal for Real Madrid in 2003. Where, where are we at in terms of the pantheon of Liverpool greats and Mo Salah now for you, Neil? As far as I'm concerned, he's, he's nailed on all-time 11 uh, territory. Uh, this, is, this is where he is. It's his fifth season of exceptional excellence. To be honest with you, it's not just this season, but this season he is playing his best football so far for Liverpool as well. But he has been banging in the goals year after year for such a period of time now. You know, there's, there's, there's no... It's difficult to contextualise him in a post-sort of messy world. I, I find it easier to look right the way back to, say, someone like Thierry Henry. Uh, Thierry Henry, in lots of senses, is, the, I think, the, the Premier League's greatest ever player. And that's now where Mo is. He's in that conversation in terms of the level that he's hitting for Liverpool sort of week in, week out. This is, this is a player who has just simply ma- got mastery of all forms of forward play at this stage. I love him to pieces. He loves playing for the club as well. There's, a, there's, there's always been a real bond between him and the supporters that I've just found you know, absolutely crazy in a lot of ways. It's sort of summed up by going back to his first season, the goal he scores at Manchester City, and he stands in front of the Liverpool away end, absolutely adoring the carnage he's just created. And I think he's... he's he, I think that Mo Salah would be a phenomenal footballer wherever he was, but at this sort of stage, he feels to me as though he's able to hit this level where I think at the moment he's the best player in the world, in part because he is at Liverpool and he is loving it this much. All right, and he's saying pre-match that he wants to stay at, at Anfield, but there's been some doubt about what's going to happen with him contractually, uh, but uh, he'd like to stay at Anfield for the rest of his career. He says, just out of interest, when you do your Liverpool all-time 11, who's the first name on the team sheet and how many picks do you have to get down to before Mo Salah's in? Well, I mean, you've you've got to you've got to trust uh, you've got to trust everybody, and you've obviously got to pick Dalglish uh, because uh, you know you've got you you you've got to have trust in your elders at least in one area of modern life, uh, and I think that you know around Kenny Dalglish will make it that one, and then you you know you when you sort of fill this out, if Liverpool are playing four three three, Mo Salah's playing on the right hand side cutting in. It's 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 the truth of the matter. It's very very direct. The question is obviously there's there's, there's players who are epoch defining in a certain way, you know Gerrard obviously, and there's a, there'll always be the added connection of him being a local a local. Uh, footballer as well, you know, coming from the area. But you, you know, for me, Salah is—he's he, in your first three or four names on that list already at this stage. Right. And if he does stay for the rest of his career, you know, but we're going to be talking here about someone who'll get over two hundred goals for Liverpool, which in the modern era, when he's joined at the age of about twenty-four, is exceptional. You know, I think he, there's every chance Mo Salah ends his days being one of the top five Liverpool scorers if he does sign the new deal. Uh, is Jordan Henderson bidding for inclusion now? Jordan's he's always a fascinating footballer, Jordan. The pass yesterday is absolutely sumptuous and he's got that in his locker. What Jordan's done in his time at Liverpool is grown into this most phenomenal leader. Liverpool, and, and this is one of the one of the wonderful things about Jurgen Klopp, and it's one of the things that currently puts Liverpool so far clear of Manchester United. Liverpool have become this fascinating cultural project, and Jurgen Klopp's decided early that Jordan Henderson is very much at the heart of that. You know, going right the way back to when we won the league in 2019-20, in Jordan's tears uh, in front of the television cameras spoke volumes. One of the things it spoke volumes about 
about was how pent up this thing was, this desire to do this. Because Liverpool had won the league at Christmas uh, that season, and even allowing for COVID within there, you know, Liverpool had that league sewn up when they go to Leicester and win four 0 If we're all honest about it, but Jordan wouldn't stop until it was done. That what that team did in 2019-20 is still for very understandable reasons around the pandemic, is still underrated. And Henderson was absolutely integral to that, both on the pitch, but also in terms of setting a certain standard off the pitch, showing a certain desire. It would have been easy for any team just to accept the European Cup and also to say 97 points, but Manchester City are always going to be just too good. And Liverpool didn't do that. And one of the reasons why this is shaping up to be an absolutely fascinating title race this season, I think, is because is because of the fact that Liverpool... And it was, only, it was odd to me in the summer when everyone was talking Manchester United up and everyone was sort of talking Liverpool down a little bit. There's only two teams in the country that have gone at the 90-odd point pace uh, across the last five years and it's Liverpool and Manchester City and Liverpool will be absolutely driven and even in Salah's post-match interview all he's talking about is the title people are trying to talk to him about goals and Old Trafford all he's talking about is the title this Liverpool team want that title and that stems from massively from the attitude of people like Jordan Henderson the way in which he leads the sort of personality that he is and for me you know you can talk about his personality and it feels like you're not talking enough about his football let's talk about that as well he's just a terrific player and yesterday without Fabinho it would have been easy for Liverpool to lack a little bit of steel a little bit of sharpness in the middle of the park but absolutely not Henderson was terrific Milner in his brief cameo was terrific Jones comes on and does the business and Keita until there was that horror tackle uh, was having possibly his best game for Liverpool certainly his best big game for Liverpool and a lot of this stems from the manager but it stems from Henderson I don't want to rain on any Liverpool fans' parade because oh. what a result. But there was mm. one area of disappointment for me and that was when it came to Salah's celebrations. It was 10 years on from Balotelli's Why Always Me t-shirt, the 6-1 thumping by, by City. Right. And I just thought, if he'd have had Why Always Me, if he'd have had that t-shirt... That's not Mo though, is it? Yeah. Could have been. Mm. This I, isn't I'm, this isn't the mode we've been used to. I think um, the interesting thing for me at, at Old Trafford yesterday was that I didn't think Liverpool were brilliant in the first half. I think they they were kind of slightly clumsy in defence. They were a bit careless occasionally in midfield, but they just had this one trick: was if we if we send players forward on a counter attack, we will have a three on one or a four on one against Manchester United, and that will be enough. I thought they were better in the second half when they just kind of controlled the game and and let's be honest, declared at five. The only fly in the ointment, uh, and Neil's absolutely right about enjoying the football because January and the African Cup of Nations is going to be a, a big thing for Liverpool. Klopp's already talking about kind of delaying them going. The, you know, there's rumours that they could miss eight, nine games even, and you know, they, two of their front three or two of their normal starting front three uh, will be in that competition. So that is mm. a that is a worry. All right, but in the meantime, enjoying the moment, a week that has seen them score 10 goals in two matches and concede none in the Premier League and also go to Atletico Madrid and become the first side, I think, ever in the Champions League to put three past Diego Simeone's side. Anyway, uh, other games also took place uh, this weekend. Let's get on to them next. So, Mr Klopp, what's been troubling you? Well, it's a very important time of the year and I'm worried we're not going to be able to get the most out of it. Yeah, there's a lot of big games coming up. Games? No, I'm talking about Oktoberfest. Sauerkraut, Steins, Lederhosen. The one time Germany comes to England, yeah, <laughs> Sometimes it can seem like they don't know what they're doing. But with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting Das Beste rewards. Like money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power. 
Pre-match bet Budabets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Min 4 plus legs. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Premier League table, West Ham are this week's guests in the top four, with above them the top three of Chelsea, Liverpool and Man City separated by just two points. Bottom three, meanwhile, have Burnley and Newcastle three points adrift and Norwich are further two points back. Their two-point total after nine games is a full nine points off Derby's record for worst ever Premier League season back in 2007-8. Norwich also well on their way to smashing Derby's all-time worst ever goal difference. The 0708 team had a minus 69 GD. Canaries are on an impressive minus 23 after nine games. Seven of those uh, goals, of course, coming Saturday at the hands of Chelsea uh, at Stamford Bridge. Who caught this one? The Saturday lunchtime game. Chelsea 2-0 up inside 18 minutes, 3-0 up at halftime, and then scoring even more goals in the second half, which is, which is very pleasant. And without Lukaku and Werner which mm. I think says it all. Um, if we're a quarter of the way through the season, James, and we times that by four, are we saying that Norwich could finish on eight points and have the lowest total and actually eclipse Derby? Daniel's, Daniel's shaking his head saying no. <laughs> Give, I've got to have some crumb of comfort. So no, that record stays, I'm afraid. Right. Is there a tip of the hat due to one Frank Lampard? Uh, by the way, you, you mentioned there was no Lukaku or, or, or Timo Werner here, but there were a whole bunch of English goal scorers for, for Chelsea, a lot of uh, Cobham graduates. I mean, there were. I, I, I think probably more credit should go to Thomas Tuchel for the way they're playing. He's managed to create this extraordinary variety of goal scorers at Chelsea. They've scored 30 goals in all competitions this season by 17 different players, which is um, ridiculous, really. You know, Mason Mount is now joint second top scorer and he scored them all on on Saturday uh I I think the headline it has to be Norwich I mean Chelsea were great but you got the sense that Chelsea could have been distinctly average and still won the game by three or four goals as sad as that is to say I, I get that people are upset when a team just kind of flunks a Premier League and it feels like a bit of a waste of a place but mm. I saw accusations of Norwich on Saturday that like oh they don't even try when they come up and I think that was probably half true last time, but they spent £60 million in the summer and they lost Buendia, who they'd clearly agreed could go if he stayed for the championship season. I just think that... I think it's more reflective of a kind of broken game that, you know, teams can do all they can and yet Chelsea will beat you by seven goals if they turn up because... I- they have better players. I've, I've no objection to uh, Norwich being in the Premier League. I think it, it's highly entertaining. I, I just feel bad for for their supporters. Must must wonder how much fun it is getting promoted. But you know, uh, Chelsea registering thirteen shots on target on Saturday against Norwich. That's the joint most that any side has had in the Premier League this season. Uh, but it was matched uh, this same weekend by Man City for a game that you were present for, Lindsay uh, Brighton's. Uh, visit from the citizens on on Saturday at 5.30. I was. Uh, I've seen them twice actually this week because um, although it was off tube, I also did some co-coms on their game in Bruges. And wow, I think Manchester City are just another level. Um, it would be really interesting for, for City and Liverpool to go up against each other right now to see who's who's on top because I think they're, they're both in their pomp. But 
Um, we, we can't really take too much from the, the Chelsea result because uh, it was Norwich. But I, I think there are there's a three-way title race developing, but Manchester City, I think, are front runners. The reason mm. being is their movement with and without the ball. I think it just rattles other teams. It leaves them completely mindless they just they absolutely make the worst decisions because Manchester City have duped them into doing so I saw Ilkay Gundogan um, with the first goal just popping up all over the place but I think particular mention Bernardo Silva what a player I mean he was picking out passes in this game and creating so much Grealish off the ball as well was was just doing brilliant work. They they look like a team. They are a team of individuals, but they're individuals working together, which is the key point. And they don't seem to need a number nine. I mean, Phil Foden, I think they've had five different players now that have played in that number false number nine role. And Phil Foden absolutely made it his own. He was, he was fantastic. I, I can't see that they need a Harry Kane figure, not when they're playing like this. Mm. Man City will be... United's next uh, visitors at, at Old Trafford in just under a fortnight. What, what do you think? Are we un, in for an, an absolutely insane title race? And would you have Man City as front runners, Noz? Um, I mean, it's, it's City and Liverpool are so interesting because they're they're so so good in in, in such different ways. So it, it sort of makes it so entertaining uh, as a neutral, which I am not. Um, but um, I I do think the thing with City and and again like looking at it through, through a United prism like essentially they are everything that United aren't like you've got somebody Lindsay mentioned Grealish and and the work he does off the ball in terms of his runs and stuff like he's a player who um, before he went to City could have been seen as like this kind of prima donna type who sort of like like needs it craves the attention needs the attention he is totally bought into the city sort of ethos and he is in in a way like like he is sacrificing his own brand if you want to call it that for the sake of the team he he is not doing the eye-catching youtube sort of friendly things he is doing things that help the team and again like again Lindsay mentioned uh bernardo silva like like there was talk of him leaving city in in the summer and it's it's mad like looking back because he's been so so good and th- there was the you talk about moments that sort of um encapsulate a team like th- there was there was one moment i think i think it was when he saved a, a corner from happening or something and he, he gave himself a little bit of a fist bump and it's kind of like in in a, in a way it was kind of it was, it was like so adorable that sort of this this great player who's in this great team is so chuffed at having sort of like something that's something sort of random as like a like a like one corner. That 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 comparison with Grealish and Sancho is is perfect for my mind. I think you know, Grealish was the sold as the individual who has now instantly become a part of a team, and Sancho is this complete systems player who relies upon a system creating chances for him, and the system did it because he was so good. Who now gives the ball goes. And just doesn't get the ball, uh, and on and on Sunday, obviously, didn't even get off the bench. It's mm. it's ch- complete chalk and cheese, and um, that that is why you you don't just have a transfer list of players. You don't just sign who you who might want to come to your club and who you want. You have to have a system by which these players fit into it. And and Noz is right. You know, City have that, and United absolutely don't. Mm. How much should we read into the fact that Raheem Sterling wasn't even in the matchday squad? Um, the club line on the day was that he picked up a, a slight niggle. But we know some of the narrative coming into this, that he, he wants away, he's not happy. 
We also know that if a player isn't happy, Pep's happy to move them on, isn't he? So could this be one of Newcastle's first signings? Uh, that would be bold if they were playing in the championship next season. Um, but uh, I, I have to, yeah, I think I think Sterling, that is becoming a worry now. I mean, I, I can see, I think I said it on here before, but I can see Sterling's point in that they've signed Grealish, who is basically plays in his position and is a £100 million player and didn't sign a striker and therefore Sterling probably guessed he was going to be picked as a centre-forward, which I don't think is, is his game at all, really. Um, so I can see why he has an issue. I I don't think there's a natural next club for him because players don't often go in their prime from super club to non-super club and not many other super clubs, you know, the other super clubs who could buy him, Liverpool, he's already been there, Man United, he's not going to go there. Barcelona and Real Madrid haven't really got that much money and probably have other targets. So it's difficult to see where he ends up. Hmm. Well, there's a while until the January window. You never know, things could change dramatically in terms of... Pep's favoured lineup. Quick word for for Brighton and, and the return of Tarek Lamptey after ten months out, who mm. who kind of out Grealish Grealish at one point. He was fantastic when he came on. Um, I think the only thing that he's missing is, and maybe that's just because he's been out of the game and it's a bit raw. But I thought his final delivery and his, his final ball sometimes lacked. But the movement and the way that he got Brighton up the pitch again, he just was a positive influence from the moment he came into the game. And certainly, um, I think I think Brighton are a better team with him in it. Um, I also think that Brighton, if we're going to talk about teams and togetherness, they they really do show that. This result was was really hard and the first half performance was disappointing. But second half, they they showed what they can do and they are going to beat quite a lot of other teams in and around them. Um, And I mean, at that point in the table as well, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, I think they will beat some of those teams around that area. Next up for Man City, by the way, are West Ham in the last 16 of the Carabao Cup, which is uh, that fixture on Wednesday. Man City have won the League Cup, stroke Carabao Cup, stroke whatever, uh, for the last four seasons in a row. Do you reckon West Ham can stick a spanner in their works Wednesday? If I was David Moyes, I would be using this game as the the one to field the reserves because he's picked really strong teams in Europe and been vindicated for that. They've won again against Spurs uh, at the weekend and I think... You know, it's credit to West Ham, it's praise of David Moyes, but this is almost a, a B competition for them now. The FA Cup, fine, but, you know, the Europa League, there's no reason. They've been the best team in the competition so far this season, so why would that not be the focus? All right. That's a, that's a little bit disappointing. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. West Ham it is. Win. I'm suddenly tuning out, Daniel. Right. <laughs> but it's a nice opportunity anyway to segue on to West Ham's 1-0 victory over Spurs Sunday afternoon, their third win in a week, all of which came without conceding any goals at all. Nos, you'll have enjoyed all the gags Sunday about Man United probably can't lure away any of the top three sides managers, but maybe this guy who's got West Ham into fourth place, dot, dot, dot. I think there's a, there's a few teams that I would that I would like look at Moyes now, like United, Everton. Um, he just... Would he, United look United, at Moyes now? I know, I know. We'll, we'll look at anyone these days, do you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> I wasn't like talk, going back to Potter. Like he he he'd be a bit of a bold uh, choice for United. I I also think the thing with Potter is I think the beard makes a difference. I just I I, I automatically take him more seriously. He almost looks a bit more sort of uh, professorial or or mm. a bit more continental with that. I think it, it, it stuff like that matters to me. Um, so yeah, so so so. Do you so think Ollie knows, could but, grow a beard? Do you think he has whiskers? I potential? don't think so. Like like right. I suspect it's one of those that don't sort of join up. 
Very um, whisper. Yeah, very whisper. He um, just needs to add a Reyes to like Reyes Potter or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But um but yeah, like um and again, like who knows how, what Moyes looks like with a with a beard, but um he's uh, he's his team He may have one. We just don't know. <laughs> he may have a beard. <laughs> yeah. I mean I presume he has eyebrows, but I mean this is getting unpleasant, but <laughs> But, but but anyway, so David Moyes, a wonderful week for him, yeah. and what a brilliant job yeah. he's doing. But, it, at, but, at but West Ham. His, his his teams are actually. I actually enjoy watching West Ham play as well because, like, um, in some ways, it could be seen as like quite a sort of simple system, but it it works really well, and and I and I do enjoy it. They're a very um, they're a, they're a physical team in in a, in a quite because uh, physical sounds disparaging. It, it sounds mm. as if there's no technique there. Or, or or it's just sort of uh, aggressive, and that's not really them. It's it just works well. They're a they're a powerful team in in the same way. Gareth Bale was a powerful player, just because like strong running, um, like passes are certain, and 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 it's just a team that knows what it's doing, and um, a little bit like it kind of um, harks back to to what Lindsay was saying in terms of United. Um, United, whoever played United, it's it's less about United and it's more a case of how good the other team are because that's the barometer. If United play a team who are disorganised, they've got a chance or they've got if they've got a weak defence. So like uh, like the the point about Atalanta, the fact United won was said as much about their defence and how they were set up. And in 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 the inverse way, I think West Ham are a good barometer because if your team is in, in any way disorganised. Or sort of um, has has any sort of weakness. West Ham will take advantage because they are they are a good, solid, um, effective team, and you have to you have to play really well, or you have to be a really good team to beat them. Mikel Antonio, meanwhile, scoring against Spurs at the London Stadium for the third season in a row, beating his marker Harry Kane to get to the ball for his sixth of the season. That's another touch in the box that Kane didn't get. The England striker with just one shot against West Ham, which with which, of course, he, he didn't strike. Intriguingly, or not, all four of Spurs' Premier League defeats this season have come in London derbies. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they were, we should say, they were, they've got a real problem on the basis of that second half because they were chasing the game for, for nearly half of it and they didn't, you know, the front four is Tango and Bambele, Lucas Moura, Hyungmin Son and Harry Kane and they didn't have a shot of any kind in the second half. That's is, woeful. And, and yeah, that means remarkable. I mean, surely Nuno, the only person happy with United's performance this weekend was Nuno Espirito Santo. That's taken some of the heat away from him. Um, I, I actually I actually am puzzled by Nuno in this Spurs role because as Wolves head coach, we had this ability in the second half to, to win matches. We were electric after the break. In fact, it was the first half that was a problem. But since he's gone to Spurs, it's the other way round. I, I don't really understand what's been going on. Mm. Spurs are in action as well in the League Cup midweek. Uh, they'll be wet Burnley. The other fixtures are Tuesday, Chelsea Saints, QPR Sunderland, Arsenal Leeds, and then on Wednesday, Stoke Brentford, as previously mentioned, West Ham Man City, Leicester Brighton, Preston North End against Liverpool and that Burnley Spurs clash. I do. I know what you mean about B competition and that. Daniel, but I quite like the way that the League Cup is just a bit of a floozy, really. It just pitches up. It knows it. Nobody really takes it as seriously, so it just turns up and puts out on the first date, if you like. Bang! Yeah, October already help. in the last sixteen. I just can't help <laughs> thinking it's one of those competitions where everyone has a lovely time, and some big teams go out, and some big teams do all right, and then Manchester City win. 
it's kind of Gary Lineker's German win on, Germany win on penalties right. um, for the TikTok generation. Where where are Man United in this nice? They're well, already they're, out. They're out of it. That's what they, that's where they are. I I just think it's <laughs> it, it it suffers from having a really ugly trophy. Like it is, it is such what does it look an ugly like, trophy. The trophy. It's it's that one that's dead short. Got got like three randomly got three handles. Oh. So like it it just looks ugly. It's, it it looks like a a really ugly heirloom. That sort of the best you can hope for is to go on Antiques Roadshow and like they, they say it's got a decent price. Like I, I'd sell it for two hundred to be honest. Really, um, three handles. Yeah, three handles. It's it's very odd. It's it's um. It's just not something you'd parade. Is it old? Yeah. When did the yeah. League Cup start? The competition started in seven in the seventies. So. All oh, right. Would it date from there, or have they? You know. Yeah, yeah, they... yeah. I think so. That time when people had three hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Evolution since the seventies means we only need two handles. All right. Well, anyway, someone will be getting their hands all three of them on that at the end of this. Well, actually, not at the end of this season because, it, of course, they um, they roll the final out and that. Almost as soon as Christmas is done. Uh, but uh, we'll talk more about the League Cup. Uh, well, maybe after they've played those last 16 games. Next up, Dilly Dong, motherfuckers. Let's talk Watford. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. And that's got to be good news for all you Man United fans out there, eh? Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet, £10. Excludes enhanced matchups. T's and C's apply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. And Shao Pedro. And this is Dennis. It is five. They were hit for five last week. They were awful. They've scored five of their own today for Claudio Ranieri. They've been brilliant. Goodison Park, Saturday, three o'clock. Everton two, Watford five. Big shout for game of the weekend here, really. Watford's first ever victory away. At Everton and an absolutely astonishing turnaround. Four goals for Claudio Ranieri's side in the last 12 minutes, becoming the first team in Premier League history to be losing after 75 minutes but to go on and win the game by a three goal margin. Crikey. One more stat just while we're trotting out the numbers. Watford's last five Premier League away wins have all come under different managers. Crikey. Anyway, what happened here from, you know, last weekend and, and from the first half? Last weekend, I mean, that didn't happen. Claudio Ranieri, this is his first game, his first win. He just erased that from his memory. It's extraordinary, though. It looked like we were in for more of the same when Everton took the lead after just three minutes, but then? I mean, what happened is that Everton completely stopped defending. I mean, Benitez is more than probably any other manager in the Premier League. You could kind of watch a a Rafael Benitez side with the, you know the names blurred out and the faces blurred out and kind of spot what they were doing, which is they're going to sit deep and if they get a lead, they're going to grind that lead out and, and make sure they get what they came for. And so it was it was so bizarre to see a Benitez-Everton team at 2-1 and 2-2 being caught like three-on-one on the break. It's just, it's the complete antithesis of everything we know about his side, which is worrying because, you know, it's no secret that he wasn't 
particularly welcomed at Everton. And I, I, my instant feeling as those goals went in was, if Newcastle know what they're doing, they'll have a little word in Everton's ear this week and try and get into Rafa Benitez's head as well. Because I, it just seems to make total sense to me. They need a manager that can keep them up. Everton don't really seem to be for this to be working out. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not doing terribly in the league by any means. It just doesn't seem like anyone's enjoying themselves, which when Everton have got a, a big new stadium on the way, it kind of feels they need to be in a PR terms, getting supporters on side. And I can't help feeling that slightly ebbing away this season. That's a bold shout, Daniel. Make um, it happen. Okay. Uh, Josh King with the hat trick at the club where he had a very unhappy six month spell, which he spoke about before. Uh, particularly about his relationship with then-Everton manager Carlo Angelotti. He lied to me, said Josh. There are not many honest people who work in football. I had no relationship with Angelotti. Crikey. Talking about Josh King, I just love the way... Um, because obviously like, there's this horrendous thing in football where players don't celebrate against teams mm. to play for. Whereas the thing I loved about his goals was it kind of, there was a graduation like the big the first one he didn't celebrate he was respectful and then that's that respect slowly ebbed away the last one he was like absolutely loving it taking his shirt off so i, I loved that I, I loved that within the within the period of a game and a series of goals he went from from full respect to zero respect um because he'd been lied to so yeah he'd i loved that to. I found the Anthony Gordon switch for Richarlison interesting because Richarlison scored and put Everton in front. Mm. But I would also say that Gordon's absence was partly responsible for, for Watford turning it around and getting at them so much. He'd, he'd been all over and I think Richarlison, as great as he was going forward, I don't think he worked as hard. Michael Cox calling it the most spectacular collapse he's ever seen on a football pitch, which is strong. Elsewhere, big week for Leicester who had the 4-2 win over Man United. Well, it seemed a big result at the time. Now, not not so sure. <laughs> then they had that 4-3 in Moscow, coming from behind against Spartak Moscow. All four goals there from Pats and Daka. And then Pats and Daka coming on for an assist this weekend in their 2-1 win at Brentford after Jamie Vardy went off at half-time. Yuri Tielemann's goal. Woof. Oh, can we just dedicate the whole of this section just to Yuri Tielemans? All right. He could be the answer to many a team's problem. Uh, I would be really surprised with the the contract negotiations still ongoing there if he is a Leicester player come, certainly come the summer, but he could even go in January. I agree with Lindsay, but can I? Can we have a word for Thomas Frank's uh, post-match answer when he's kind of, you know, he just went to have a word with Kasper Schmeichel at the end of the game and was just kind of asked really sort of off the cuff he just said oh you know what were you talking to Casper about he was like well I told him he was effing lucky to win the game and he was like yeah fair enough I like that um, Brentford were robbed here I mean Leicester scored good goals but the second week in a row that Brentford have, have matched a supposedly better team than them and come away with nothing and I kind of last week Thomas Frank was a bit philosophical and said well you know we gave it a great go and by this week it's it, you can tell it's really started to annoy him Mm. Yeah, in fact, since beating Arsenal on the opening night of the season, they've only taken one point from the next four at home, Brentford. But still, it's been a, an inspiring start from them. Uh, Leicester, meanwhile, will be facing the Gunners next weekend. Arsenal, who Friday night had a 3-1 victory over Aston Villa. Lindsay, you were there for this one. Did you see the process? It's Arsenal the best looking... I've seen them. It's yeah. the best I've seen them for a long time. Um, this performance was a marker, I think, of, of what Arsenal fans should be demanding of this team. Mm. 
I I felt that Villa were below par though, and the the thing with Arsenal. Uh, you want to judge them when the opposition are as at it as they are. Um, on this occasion, I think Villa were below par, Arsenal were the best that they've been all season and they were creating quite a lot of chances. Lacazette, very worthy of of, of saying, hey, I'm here every week to be in this starting eleven. Um, really liking him at the moment. Um, I felt that Buendia was disappointing for Villa. Um, I didn't want to just single out one player because I think quite a few of them backed off the ball quite a lot in this match. But the desire from... And he was a player that I really wanted to try and get to Wolves, actually, when it when it was the last transfer window. But he, he just really felt like he threw his toys out the pram when things weren't going his way, just down tools. And and that wasn't a great vibe to be put, given off as a as a player in that Villa team. Um, Douglas Louise was below par. Um, John McGinn a bit a bit rash with some of his challenges. There was a frustration in that Aston Villa team um, that I think Dean Smith is going to have to nip in the bud quite quick, actually, because I think it could, it could spiral. It could become the next game to come as well because there's just something missing with this Villa side right now. Although I do feel that it's all about Arsenal, this one, because they, they were... A different level than I've seen them before. There was a lot of criticism and, and fun being made of Arsenal when they signed Ramsdale in the summer, mm. um, and 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 I think he's coming into his own as well. Not only in terms of his saves, but he's, he's he, I, I really like his personality. Um, I think uh, he's uh, he's already a fan favourite. Um, he's making important saves, and he, and he's got he's got this. Um, He's got. He's, he's developing a bit of an aura of like, uh, like he's depend. He's dependable, and 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 the and the defenders trust him. Uh, um, and yeah, just a, a lovely guy as well. Yet to lose with Aaron Ramsdale in goal in eight matches now in all competitions. Yeah, I I spoke to him on uh, there was an England day before the last international break, and he was one of the players who we got to sit down with, and he, he was really funny. He was he was asked about you know, the fact that he's very demonstrative and vocal and, and passionate when he makes saves or when defenders make blocks. And he's like, he just sort of said, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, like strikers score and they get to celebrate. So why wouldn't I get to do exactly the same when I make a save? And it's like this image of him sort of Jurgen Klinsmann diving across the penalty area, having made a penalty save or something is, it's not that far from the truth. You know, he, he, he sort of uses the supporters to come in and he talked about sensing that there was a position at Arsenal to become a real leader within that team. And he sort of said, well, you know, if I'm going to be made number one, why shouldn't that leader be me? Which is a pretty big statement from a guy who's just played at Bournemouth and Sheffield United and been signed by Arsenal. All right. Well, we'll see how they get on against Leicester, but very positive stuff from the Gunners. Also this weekend, a 1-1 draw for Palace against Newcastle, a draw for Saints and Burnley and Leeds and Wolves too. We'll get on to those games and related issues next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Newcastle still winless after their visit to Crystal Palace, who draw yet another game. That's six now out of their opening nine matches. There's talking about the game. There's also, I think, probably a bit of chat to be had about the banner that the Homesdale Fanatics held up, depicting, uh, well, an image of the club's new Saudi Arabian owners, PIF, with a big sword about to behead a magpie. Uh, with a background of uh, fans singing, we've got our club back, and then next to it there's a form, a checklist form for the Premier League owners' test that reads terrorism, beheadings, civil rights abuses, murder, censorship and persecution. Tick, 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 tick. Um, the police are investigating the fact that this banner was, was held up, which, I mean, I don't know. It just feels... Yeah, really? I hope that's I hope that's one of those stories that when it says the police are investigating, I hope that the rough translation of that is someone has contacted the police and therefore they have to say they're investigating. I, right. I don't suspect it's going to lead to any charges and uh, I don't think it should lead to anything further than we have investigated the matter and concluded it. As well, we should say there's a there's an organisation, Proud and Palace, who before the game would did a, a slightly more low key but but no less important protest about you know the treatment of, of, of um, the the LGBT community within Saudi Arabia which um, thankfully got a lot of interest on Twitter which is is also really good the the, the thing is that that the worst thing that that um, flag could be accused of is bad taste and to be perfectly honest I feel as if all fans or anyone even Newcastle fans, the best way to fight sports washing is highlight the issues. Um, if football is being used to um, mask atrocities and human rights abuses, then use that against them and weaponize sort of football matches and games that Newcastle are playing in to highlight those things. And again, mm. like one of the thing, one of the issues that we've got at the moment. Uh, and it's such a sensitive subject in a lot of ways, is that so many things get conflated. So um, Newcastle fans, uh, a lot of Newcastle fans, uh, are slightly sort of um, sensitive about the criticism they're receiving now because it's a case of like, wait a minute, um, all we wanted was Ashley out. Like nothing good has happened to us for ages. This good thing has happened and suddenly people are attacking us and expecting us to be human rights experts and expecting us to know all about Khashoggi and all these cases and we just want to enjoy our football, which is true. But I think the problem occurs is when um, people criticise the owners and, the, and some Newcastle fans, like 
automatically um, see that as a an extent by extension a criticism of them, and it's not. That's, that's a really new phenomenon. Also. That literally never happened before. Certainly, city fans <laughs> don't do that. But I mean, I mean, the, but, but, but this is but this is my point. Like the, yeah. the, 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 the same thing at City and the same thing at Newcastle is like. Yeah. This is a this is a weird situation where you can almost have your cake and eat it. You can enjoy the success right. that the money brings, but also sort of criticize or highlight things. It's almost like you're a unique stakeholder in the situation where you are the supporters of the team that are benefit from this. So it almost puts you in a unique position to sort of say, um, we, it's great the team is doing well, but these things are wrong. Yeah, that's a very good point. It wasn't even the worst Newcastle-related banner of the weekend. What was the worst Newcastle-related banner? Have you seen the Stone Roses one? No, what was that? Because obviously there's there's the Stone Roses song, um, Before Sally I Was Never Happy, um, Sally Cinnamon. They changed that to uh, Before Amanda I Was Never Happy with a picture of Amanda. um, Obviously they're part of the new ownership. And it doesn't even scan. First of all, it doesn't even scan. Amanda, like, if you're going to replace... Sally, use her second name. At least that scans. Secondly, well, Saudi. It's... Saudi's right there. If you really yeah, want. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it's, it's it was such it was such a weird kind of um, and 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 also they were using Sally Cin- they were using iconography from the Stone Roses album, which on right. which Sally Cinnamon is not. So yeah, on every oh, level, it's wrong it was on weird. so many levels. Police should investigate that. You're absolutely exactly, right. Exactly. Exactly. In in fact, I I regret not complaining to police because then they would have to go into that. <laughs> I might still do. Meanwhile, Newcastle remaining winless, although they did have that spectacular overhead kick from Callum Wilson, who's now two for two since his return from injury. They are in the bottom three. And Graham Jones says he will also be in charge for the visit of Chelsea next Saturday. Crikey. All right. Burnley. Good result for them away at Saints. Maxwell Corney with both goals in a 2-2 draw for the Clarets, taking his tally to... Three goals in three starts. He scored 43% of Burnley's goals this season in 214 minutes, which is pretty impressive. We were talking about Chelsea players on loan. Loads of them on the score sheet here because you had Tino Livramento, or former blue. Armando, is it Breuer? Breuer. It is Breuer, okay. It is Breuer. Who's on loan from Chelsea? All of the names that we're mentioning, these are two teams as well that could be guilty, I suppose, of, of sticking with... Certainly on, on Burnley's front, you know, they, they haven't had any purse strings or certainly Sean Dyche hasn't been able to spend. The people that we talk about are the new names. And I think it highlights the importance of being able to freshen up your squad. And Maxwell Cornet, he is the bright spark. He is the fresh, fresh approach. And that's literally it, isn't it, at Burnley? You can't really identify anyone else. Nope. Well, no wins in... 12 matches now going back to last season for Burnley, who could have lost this game had Nathan Redmond not had that moment. Was that the miss of the season so far, would you say? Yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. It was, um, yeah, it was extraordinary. Um, I mean, Southampton have got a, a habit of doing that. Adam Armstrong is is slightly guilty of, of this. They've had an awful lot of shots, Southampton, and yet their, their, the kind of shot conversion, their shot accuracy has been pretty dismal. And, uh, yeah, it's going to hurt them because if you don't beat Burnley at home, then you are you're going to struggle this season. Um, mm. They have plenty enough chances to win. I know Burnley scored twice, and that will annoy Hasenhutl, but they shouldn't have been given a chance to. Southampton should have had the game to bed. All right. Also, this weekend, Leeds won, Wolves won. Lindsay, 
take us home with this one. Perhaps you want to talk about Wolf's new hero, Huang Hee Chan. Uh, Huang's been brilliant. And I think with, with Pedro Neto um, having been sidelined and, and his recovery is one that hasn't gone to plan. Um, he originally was going to be back... Uh, by December time and it, we're now told it should be around February and he's been a huge miss and Huang has, has filled that gap and since Jota went to Liverpool he's he's also replaced a lot of what Jota used to offer in the team for, for Jimenez um, so yeah I'm really pleased with with his signing and his integration into the team uh, the, the disappointing factor from a Wolves point of view in this match was trying to hold on to a 1-0 lead which was never going to work. I mean, right up until the end, I was still saying Leeds will get one back, and they did. Um, you really don't want to do that. And that isn't something that I'm used to watching under Bruno Large, defending a 1-0 lead. He tends to want to throw everything at trying to get a second, but it, it just didn't happen on, on this one. Um, and, I, and I don't know why. I don't know why they didn't, they didn't try to, to get that second goal and put the game to bed. All right. They're 11th in the table after nine rounds. Leeds remain just above the bottom three with a three-point margin of the relegation spots in 17th. Crikey. All right, very shortly, we'll touch on one or two other things, uh, including Daniel's whirlwind European tour. Uh, But first of all, let's get some odds from Paddy Power, Carl Monaghan, with producer Charlie. Hello, listener. That was a great weekend, if you like goals, which you, you probably do. I'm sure Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power does. Hey, Carl, it's the last 16 of the League Cup this week. Manchester City have won this competition for the last 47 years in a row. But will their reign of terror end at the London Stadium on Wednesday night as they take on David Moyes' West Ham? Well, Charlie, this game is probably tougher than it's priced up for Manchester City. Pep Guardiola's Harlem Globetroppers went to the seaside last weekend and slapped Brighton silly with a 4-1 win. Now, prices for this are as follows. West Ham, 11-2 for the win, 100-30 the draw, and City are odds on at 4-9 to win it. But the wise owl that is David Moyes is hooting again, and his side look full of confidence, having only lost a couple of games so far this campaign in all competitions. Now, Declan Rice will line out, I suspect, Charlie for the Hammers. He's the big dog for them these days, with his very effective marshalling of the midfield. And West Ham to qualify Charlie is 7-2, so that would mean the Hammers getting a draw here and winning on pens, as there is no E.T., until the semi-final stages of the competition. So I think I'm having a slice of that bar and brack, Charlie. P.S. Bar and brack is a tasty Irish Halloween tradition. Sounds delicious. At the same time, Carl, we've got Preston v Liverpool, which feels like a romantic old-timey fixture. Seriously, this was box office in the 1890s. Can it be again on Wednesday? Can the championship side cause an upset? Well, Charlie Preston have two wins in their last ten in all comps, so the Liverpool fringe players will certainly fancy the opportunity to flex their muscles in front of Jurgen Klopp instead of the mirror at home. Besides last met in the FA Cup back in 2009 when Liverpool were 2-0 winners at Deepdale, but Preston fans will point all the way back to February of 1962 when they went to Anfield in what was the second replay between the sides and caused the cup set with a 1-0 win. In terms of the match betting, Preston are a 7-1 shot, Charlie. The draw is 4-1 and Liverpool are 3-1 on to win it. With Bobby Firmino, though, back in the side ahead of Diego Jota, how about the Portuguese forward to score the first goal and give old Jorgen something to think about? Jota to score first is 4-1. to one. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. England, Lindsay, beat Northern Ireland 4-0 on Saturday in the Women's World Cup qualifying. Beth Mead with a hat-trick. 
Beth Mead has been sensational. So if anyone's an Arsenal supporter and has managed to catch some of Arsenal women this season, she has been on fire. Took that form into her England performance here. Has had a bit to prove as well because Serena Wiegmann um, has come in as the new manager and Hegger Risa beforehand had, had left Beth Mead out. So um, a little like Josh King, you know, when you've got that something to prove factor. Right. Um, that is Beth Mead at the moment playing with a bit of spice to her. But yeah, this was a brilliant, brilliant performance. And I have to credit Northern Ireland. They managed to keep out um, England for some time. It wasn't until that substitute and Beth Mead came on that that they they were able to do anything. It partly was because Northern Ireland defended in a block of six and then four and zero up front pretty much for most of the game. But you have to credit Northern Ireland for, for being able to do that and for being able to frustrate as well as they did. All right. Not a great result for them in terms of their qualifying hopes for the Women's World Cup, but they, they are through to the Euros next summer. That Their first major tournament ever. Yeah, and it'll be a great tournament for them for them to enjoy. Um, there's some really nice players, actually, in this Northern Ireland squad. Um, they are going to suffer, as, as quite a lot of nations do, where they don't have as big a pool to pick from. But they, they have managed to bring through a lot of talent. And yeah, I'm, re- I'm really pleased for them. Really pleased to see them there. Excellent. All right. Uh, now, the Totally Football League show is out today. Among the topics under discussion, Mick McCarthy getting sacked at Cardiff just after they lost their eighth straight defeat in the championship. It was to Mick's close friend Neil Warnock uh, and Borough. Uh, there'll be Nottingham Forest chat as well, of course, Daniel. Yeah. Right. Uh, totally Football Show European Edition. That's out first thing Tuesday. Busy one, I think it'll be. We haven't done it yet. But you've got uh, the Derby d'Italia into Juve. You've got Le Classique, which is Marseille against Paris Saint-Germain. Both of those ended as draws. You've also got El Clasico, which didn't. Real Madrid with a 2-1 victory over Barcelona. Daniel, you went to see Barca this week, didn't you? As part of your exciting and quite sunny-looking tour of erstwhile yeah. big Spanish sides. Yeah, I saw most of the sun from train windows, I'm honest, because the route of Madrid to Barcelona to Seville on by train in three days is not it's not as the crow flies. Um but yeah, it was I mean I saw main thing I took away from Barcelona was just how empty the, the new camp was. I mean the, yeah. the question at the start of the season was how many of these tourist fans or one game a year fans are coming to see Messi and how many are coming to see Barca and I think we've kind of got the answer because So you went to the Champions League game against Dinamo Kiev and what was the attendance there? Uh, I mean they they said I think it was 44,000 Didn't but look it though did it? No I mean it, I, it was barely a third full I would have said nearer to between 30 and 35,000 and then the next day I was you know I had a lot of replies understandably from Barcelona fans saying well it's a midweek kickoff and it's an early kickoff which in Spain is basically kryptonite for full stadiums and then the next day I was in Betis or was in Seville to watch Betis and they had 40 odd thousand in their stadium to watch their Europa League game at, at, fi- at exactly the same time the early kickoff time so um yeah I I think Barcelona are are obviously crumbling I don't think Koeman's got long but you know, it's no surprise to say there's huge issues there, but one of the long-term issues is going to be just how much of that global revenue and, and status was based on having Messi. Mm. All right. Well, you've done a big piece on all that in The Eye, which is available have, yes. at the moment. Crikey. We've also got, talking about podcasts that are out this week, especially Galazzo. Remember that? Uh, that's out on Wednesday, in which we dive way back into the history books 
to discuss uh, the Azuris triumph at Euro 2020. <laughs> Ask your parents. Noz, what are you up to this week? What, what content are you going to be dropping? <laughs> I've had a few days off, so that's been nice. Um, I would. I want to. I want to. I want to check out um, the French Dispatch. Right. Um, where's Anderson? Um, yeah. But yeah. I'll, I'll also be listening to Glasgow because I, I I really love that podcast. Oh, cheers, Noz. I I, I, I like the little uh, little musical accompaniments as well, like proper like eighties disco pop that you always drop in. Right. Well, of course, this one's got modern twenty twenty yeah. music, which is completely different to the eighties music in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> subtext is actually really... um, well that, that's grand okay be like Noz listen to Galazzo when that comes out and there'll be more along presently yeah I am uh, interested to see French Dispatch as well and uh, if you haven't seen Dune yet or if you haven't bought your tickets yet I mean I really enjoyed it but I would urge anyone going to see it to make sure you see it in IMAX because it is a gobsmacking spectacle just just on Wes Anderson, like mm. it's interesting that he's he's somebody who, unlike Solskjaer, manages to right. get all these big names to work together really well. Yeah, over like ninety minutes or so. So maybe he's the solution. Who knows? Wes Anderson, at Old Trafford. It's all been. <laughs> uh, we planned the whole podcast for us to make exactly. the Wes Perfect Anderson circle. Solskjaer comparison. <laughs> that would be extraordinary. It would be so. It would be so whimsical and quirky. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Brilliant. Well, having brought us full circle, many thanks to you, Noz, for that and for being with us today. Thank you. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Lindsay, you as well. Have a terrific week. And Daniel, producer Charlie, and you too, listener. Thanks for uh, joining us for this. Uh, loads of stuff, as we mentioned, coming up. And then, of course, we'll be back on Thursday with that red-hot Last 16 League Cup talk and also whatever's happening at the weekend too. Do uh, make sure you join us for that for now, though, from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.